and welcome to this uh, Growth Strategist podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by none other, none other than Michael Bungay-Stania. Michael, how are you? I am terrific. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Simon. And it's a real privilege to meet you. I mean, I, I started coaching a few years ago, but you, you are the thought leader on coaching and, and particularly your book, The Coaching Habit. I, I, I can't remember the numbers, but it was a record-selling book for, for a long so, period. It's just south of a bajillion. <laughs> it has so, it has so, it's almost sold a million copies now, or it's just getting up there. So it's pretty amazing. And I've just, I've actually ordered a copy for myself, so I can't wait. And, and obviously the advice trap as well. And, you know, you're the founder of MBS Works, Box of Crayons, which I'm, I'm interested in all of that stuff. So, um, so maybe spend the first few minutes to talk about you and your background and, and sure. what you do and those businesses and how you came to where you are today. Sure, I'll do this really quickly. So I'm an Australian, left Australia 30 years ago or thereabouts to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. And that was terrific because A, it stopped me becoming a lawyer because I'd done a law degree in Australia. B, I met my wife and, you know, she and I are about to celebrate 30 years together as a couple. Wow. So that was great. And, you know, if my wife's listening, not in that order. Um, <laughs> so I'm now living in England. My wife's doing a PhD at Oxford. I'm going, what am I doing with my life? Because I still hadn't figured that out. And I started a career, first of all, in the worlds of innovation and creativity, helping invent products and services, yeah. but then moved into the world of organizational change and organizational development because I wanted to understand why all the really good ideas we have in the innovation company never made it out into the market. Yeah. And they seem to vanish into organizations and get swallowed up. So I'm like, how does change happen in organizations? So I spent time as a change management consultant in England and I moved to yeah. Boston and lived in Boston for a while. And then 2001 decided to head up north, head to Canada and settle in Toronto and started Box of Crayons. And Box of Crayons has changed and evolved over the years, but now it's got a very specific focus. It's helping organizations shift from advice driven to curiosity led. And in particular, it's got an expertise around giving practical coaching skills to busy managers and busy leaders. Yeah. Now, a year ago, almost to the day, I stepped away from being CEO of Box of Crayons, handed it over to... Shannon Menefee, who's the CEO and doing an amazing job. So I spent the last year trying to figure out exactly what's next for me and launching a new book and other bits and pieces. But mostly I'm still a champion for curiosity and also for just broadly speaking, personal growth. So how do we get to be the best versions of ourselves out in the world and still playing around with exactly how and what solutions I offer to solve that particular problem, but that's kind of the space that I'm in now. Wow, and it resonates with me because you know I've I've got this tagline which has only just been a number of people have said to me recently. You need to be described as the growth strategist because because I do a lot of things around business growth, leadership growth, mindset right. growth, and brand growth. The four areas, right? Four pillars, right. and uh, and. And like you, there's so much, to, there's so much to explore in this space and, you know, ex right. and there's external growth, which is yeah. finite, but then particularly during these troubling times, there's this whole area of internal growth, which is infinite, sure. you know, it's infinite. So in terms of, in terms of the coaching habit, right. For those of those, those out there who don't know about the coaching habit and, and, and I notice it's about making coach like an essential leadership competency, right. Which, yeah which I find fascinating because I've been a leader, I've been a CEO, I'm also a coach. So how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, you know, you, as you say, you've walked that path. So 
for years now, people have been going, look, coaching is a really important leadership skill. And what you do is you get CEOs like Simon nodding his head and going, yeah, sure. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Get my people to do that, whatever that means. Exactly. But nobody's totally clear what coaching means. And honestly, often it becomes a sort of weird HR initiative. Hey, HR, just go and sort out the coaching thing. Yeah. And meanwhile, the rest of us will get on with actually the real business of doing the work, whatever that is. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that we want to, to, to change about that. First of all, we want to unweird this whole idea of coaching because if you're on the inside of coaching, like I think you and I are, you're a believer in it. You go, look, this yeah. can make the difference. Yeah. But if you're on the outside, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's all a bit airy fairy, Californian, touchy feely, yeah. psycho babble, therapy babble, yoga babble. I don't want any part of that. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's make coaching accessible and practical. Yeah. So we've got a couple of kind of core beliefs. One is if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time for coaching. Secondly, coaching is an everyday act. It's not a let's come and do our coaching session. It's like, no, every interaction with somebody can be more coach-like. Yeah. And when people go, well, what are we even talking about here? What do you mean by coach-like? I go, look, here's, here's what it means. Here's the behavior. Yeah. Can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Yeah. So what we're really getting to here, Simon, is this core belief that curiosity is a powerful force of growth and success at an individual level, at a yeah. team level, and at an organizational level. That, that's huge. And when you say that, it brings to mind two things. I mean, so I've written, it's funny, I wrote an article called uh, collaboration plus innovation equals empowerment, which is a bit tongue in cheek. Mm. And I wrote this about 15 years ago in Australia and for a knowledge management magazine. And I, I do lots of writing now, written books and articles. And, and some of those old articles are coming back again. So I wrote right. one recently for Irish Tech News. And it was about, you know, the whole area of collaboration and, and innovation, right? And, um, and you know, Apple's a great example. I mean, that was a company in around 1999 that was kind of stagnating. And then, Oh yeah, it was in a world of pain. It yeah. was. And then some engineers were given space and they came up with the iPod. And, and so that, that whole, the whole idea of giving people space and that, what if, what if just go off and what if, and, and then the other thing was the whole area of growth mindset. I interviewed Eduardo mm -hmm. Braseno, who's the co-founder of, um, mindset works. And, like he is one of the leaders in growth mindset, right? And right. When, we stopped, when we stopped recording, he then said to me, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, how do you think I did, right? And I thought, hang about, the world leader in growth <laughs> mindset. But, but that was his growth mindset. He's curious mm. to know how mm. he comes across and, and he's constantly looking to grow. So, and, so, and I asked him whether vulnerability is a good thing. So is vulner vulnerability is part of that curiosity, is it? Do you think? Well, I think so. Because here's the equation for me. Actually, before I go there, let me just make a connection to growth mindset and what we're talking about today. Yeah. So one of our box of crayons is favorite clients and, and kind of marquee clients is Microsoft. Okay. And if anybody's been tracking Microsoft, you'll know that under the, the newish CEO, Satya Nadella, yeah. there's a significant cultural change happening. Massive. His language is, how do we move from a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture? Yeah. And really the philosophy at the heart of the shift in the Microsoft co culture, which has allowed them to actually become the most valuable company in the world, yeah. is the growth mindset. Yeah. But 
the question that every wrestler with is, well, how do you make the growth? How do you operationalize the growth mindset? How do you actually yeah. do that? Yeah. And being more coach-like is actually one of the essential ways to do that. Okay. Because it leads with curiosity and curiosity and the growth mindset are, are in, in, inescapable, yeah. inseparable. Yeah. But when you ask about vulnerability, here's what happens when you ask a question. You say, I don't know, or I think I might know, but I'm willing to say that my answer might not be the right one. Or I do know, but I'm willing to give you the power to lead this conversation, to own this conversation, to own the outcome. Yeah. And all of those are acts of giving up power and giving up control of stepping away from a place of status and power and knowing it all and controlling it all. Yeah. And I think those are inherent acts of willingness to be vulnerable. I think you're right. And, and it's interesting, you know, we're talking to Eduardo, who's talking about people with fixed mindsets have a very brittle attitude or, 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 they, or they respond to life in a very brittle way. Whereas sure. those with, and so, you know, so, so, so just back to organizations. So we're going through, th- this is a year nobody's going to forget. <laughs> mainly, mainly for negative reasons. I mean, I I'll probably forget because I've got a terrible memory, but I get what you're <laughs> saying, which is like, it's been a hell of a year. A hell of a year and kind of a circuit breaker. And so how do you think this year will impact the whole area of coaching? And then secondly, leadership. Will, will there be changes? Or, or, and, and then also the whole area of technology and how that will impact it. What, what do you think? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I, I don't know. You know, my experience of people who try and predict the future, <laughs> you're kind of Get like, the more certain you are, Get the less wrong. likely it is to be actually correct. Yeah. Um, I do know that under times of stress, like we have now, when you're like, if it's not the pandemics, it's the race riots. And if it's not the yeah. race riots, it's um, whoever knows what else is going on. Yeah. Um, those moments which throw up a lot of uncertainty create a lot of anxiety in all of us because our brains are wired to dislike uncertainty. You know, it's a very fundamental evolutionary driver, which is if you know what's about to happen, you feel safer. And if you feel safer, you're more likely to survive. And if you're more likely to survive, you fulfill your brain's prime operative, which is survive so that you can breed and pass your DNA along. Yeah. So when we're in a moments of uncertainty and you know, we're all going, what does this mean to how I work? What does it mean to leadership? What does it mean to the economy? Yeah. What does it mean for health? What does it mean for, you know, the United States, which is, seems to be this, these things seem to be making it fragment even faster. Yeah. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that we've taken for granted that we're now going, we don't know. And that makes us anxious. And in times of anxiety, the temptation is to reassert with certainty. Let me be clear. Let me give direction. Let me, whatever it might be. And actually there's a, I think Simon is absolutely right that that is a reaction. You, you need leaders who give clarity and give guidance. I mean, you know, as we move to this phase of the pandemic, Lots of people are going, well, actually, things have suddenly got a bit more ambiguous. Do I wear a mask or don't I wear a mask when I'm out? Is it six or eight or 10 or 15 people I can bubble with? And what does that mean? Yeah. Um, but if you, if you go all in on certainty and you remove the opportunity of curiosity, you give up a lot. 
Yeah. So I, I do think it's a, it's a testing time for thinking about how does curiosity thrive in a time of stress? Yeah. No, I agree. And, and the whole area of gender balance, right? I don't know mm. whether that's an area you've, you've delved into too deeply. Okay. But it's an area that I'm fascinated with and I've written an article and I'm about to do some more work. And, you know, in the military space, it's been proven that when you bring the feminine to bear on closing deals, they tend to be more sustainable. And there's very, there's not as much talked about in corporates. Sheryl Sandberg's done work at Facebook, but, but it seems clear to me that the more balance you have, the better organizations will be. And so what do you think about that? The whole area of balance? Well, the research I've seen is, 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 is more brutal than that. And by brutal, I mean, if you're a man, which is, Look, there are two ways to make a team smarter. One is have diverse points of view on it. And the other is to have women on it. <laughs> Pretty much the more women you add to a team, the smarter it becomes. That's yeah. statistically what happens. Yeah. There is, there, there. So, um, you know, it's, it's no mistake that Box of Crayons, the company I founded, yeah. is about 80%, 85%, I think, women. Okay. And the senior leadership team, five of the six position are women. Okay. And I can't say that I've gone, I'm not going to hire men, but there's just a way that we're looking for really great people. And yeah. <laughs> there's, there's yeah. just some good science that says, yeah. well, women on your team, it's yeah. not, it's not a sure bet by any means, but statistically yeah. you're probably going to have smarter teams. So, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I was predominantly brought up by my mother and grandmother. I married and I have two daughters and right. I, you know, and you know, I work with a lot of men as well, but I do see more of an open, open, uh, empathetic, um, outward th expression of thinking, right. From the feminine, from the feminine. Now that you and I have the feminine side as well, but sure, I, find, of course. I find the masculine quite closed, and it's all about the results and get to here. And you know, I wonder if there's any coincidence that you know, you know, places like the States and Russia and the UK and and Brazil are run by kind of egotistical male characters, whereas yeah. some of those, there's no coincidence, is there? Well, I, you know, I I think they're probably. It's probably not a direct cor cor correlation, yeah. um, but here's the thing. If you have a system that allows alpha males such as lead those countries and kind of, kind of for me, my language is that they're, they're kind of like the toxic privileged yep. alpha male, yeah. the very thing that I least aspire to be in my life. Me too. What they are is they are symbolic and emblematic of a system that allows them to be the people in charge. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm not a fan of Boris Johnson in the UK at all, no. but I don't look at him and go, he's the only thing. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but yeah. I don't look at Donald Trump and go, he's the thing. I'm like, he's, he is the, the consequence of a system yeah. that allows something like that to, to arise. Yeah. No, and you know, I, you know, I saw the I saw the Facebook or LinkedIn meme going. Look at the countries that are doing really well; they're all led by women. Look at the yeah. countries that are doing badly; they're all led by men. Yeah. But who knows how much of that is just me and my little media bubble going? That's what I want to see because that reinforces what I I believe. No, I I agree. I agree. So, apart from Microsoft, are you seeing what what good examples are you seeing out there in terms of leadership and 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 really? you know, looking towards the future in terms of adaptability and being open-minded and being 
and being creative. What other examples are happening right now? You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening. It happens a little below the, the radar uh, for the most part. Yeah. But um, I'm a particular fan of a guy called Aaron Dignan, D-I-G-N-A-N. Yeah. He wrote a book called Brave New Work. And he says, look, the organizations that we want to create for our time and beyond, have, they have two core components to them. One is they are people-centric. So, or he puts them, I think, people-positive. Yeah. And the other is that they are complexity-conscious, meaning they understand that we don't live in a linear world and our organizations aren't linear machines where you press a button and something happens. Yeah. They are complex, messy, confusing systems yeah and he says look the organizations that thrive are the ones that continually remember that they are staffed by human beings exactly and they're the ones that go control and systems and structure has a role but possibly not as much as you think it is because the more you you know, the more you try and fix things by rules, the more bureaucracy you create. I mean, I heard somebody call it, I think, scarring at the first cut. You know, the first time somebody screws up and you're like, oh, they did this. Yeah, Let's yeah. institute rule 16.3, yeah. point A, point 0.1, point B, yeah. point 0.1, point C. You shouldn't <laughs> do this. Yeah. What you have now is bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. And if you manage and think about principles, which is here's how we want you to act in general, yeah. um, you get a more resilient, more adaptable, more agile organization, with, which remain more people centric at the same time. Yeah, no, amazing. And, you know, it's amazing that, you know, Jeff Bezos, I hear, you know, about to become the first trillionaire, but, but he apparently, I don't know whether it's the case, is already thinking about life after Amazon. I mean, because everything comes to an end. So one day, it's unbelievable to think about it. There won't be Amazon, right? <laughs> you know, there probably won't be. And, and, and so I think that, but I don't, I, I, I sense there are so many leaders who don't think that out of the box, right? I think they just, they go to work and they just think rule after rule after rule. And, um, yeah. you know, so well, Bezos um, is, is a, um, I mean, he, like Amazon or don't like Amazon, and you have to say it's both amazing and destructive at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But his capacity to, as he puts it, be a day one company going, look, we keep coming back to being, what are we now? What are the fundamentals? How do we play the longer game? Yeah. He is rigorous around that in a way that's extraordinary. It is, yeah. No. So, so just to wrap up the last couple of questions. So in terms of your work, I mean, what, mm. what's next? What's because you must be thinking all the time, right? You must be thinking books and concepts, concepts, and like, like I yeah. do on different. What's what's next for you? What's your next few years? Yeah, you know, I I don't fully know. I mean, I'm um, waiting to. I'm trying not to rush that conversation because, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, now that I stepped away from being the CEO at Box of Crayons, I have space to go. What next? Yeah, yeah, And there's a danger to rush in and fill up my time with stuff that I can do. Cause I can do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. That's just not the measure of success for me anymore. It's actually doing the thing that is both enlivening and nurturing for me. And that contributes yeah. to the world in a certain way. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm planting seeds. I'm testing out some ideas. I'm kind of yeah. running flags up flagpoles to see who salutes, but I haven't really figured it out yet. So yeah. I don't know. Stay tuned, Simon. That's a good, honest answer. And so the final question then is if, if you were, and I ask this of everybody, if you were going to whisper two or three words of wisdom to an aspiring leader or, or, or a coach of leaders, 
to really set them up for success, what two or three words of wisdom would you whisper in their ear? I don't know. That's such a hard question because, you know, wisdom, it's all about the context. Um, it's all about what's helpful for you right now. Yeah. Um, here's a question that can be helpful and is generically helpful. And the question is this, ask yourself, what do I know to be true? Yeah. What do I know to be true? Cause anytime that you're in any situation, if you're looking to figure out what to do, the question, what do I know to be true is really helpful. Yeah. And it helps you separate out your biases, your judgments, your feelings from the data. And when you see those elements differently, you get to decide in a way that may be slightly wiser. Yeah. And equally you can, use that question to be forward looking as well. Like if you have a plan, if you're like, okay, I want to do this. One of the, one of the things that you can ask yourself is what needs to be true for this to happen? This is a question I took from a writer called Roger Martin. Okay. And um, that's a very, it stops debating whether plan A or plan B is the right plan. It really says what needs to be true for us to do plan A. And is a kind of, it's a strategic grounded question that really kind of challenges fundamentals. No, that that's excellent. That's excellent. So how do people find out more about you and your work and, 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 and track where you're going next? <laughs> sure. You know, the, the best place to go in general is mbs.works. That's yep. the personal uh, website. Um, and, uh, if you want to go specifically about the new book, the advice trap dot, um, the advice trap, the advice trap.com is the website there. Yeah. One of the things that we didn't talk about is in the advice trap. I talk about how do you tame your advice monster? That kind of part of you that keeps wanting to leap in and give up answers and solutions and suggestions. And there's actually a questionnaire at the advice trap.com. That's like, you can figure out which of the three advice monsters is strongest yeah. in you. So that might be something for people to look at as well. No, that's great. And I, I see that in you. Like, I mean, I've interviewed now 25 people and I can see that you consciously, you're, you're not dictating. You want to share and you want to uh, provoke a little bit, provoke the conversation, provoke, provoke the thought, which I think is what I call disruptive coaching and disruptive leadership. The world needs more of that rather than just, this is what the, this is, what this is, is, you know? So yeah, I think that's really what you're talking about. So thank you. It's been great chatting with you and, and thanks so much for your time. And, and I look forward to reading The Coaching Habit as well. And, um, you know, it's been a real pleasure. Simon, thanks for having me on the call. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.